The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you uh, joining online. Glad you're here today. Man, it's such a, such a cool thing to be asked to um, like watch out for someone, watch out for something. I remember when I was 18, I remember the first time um, I had two older brothers and one younger brother, and, and uh, my older brothers were six and seven years older, so they had already gone. My younger brother was 11 years younger than me. And they had already, my older brothers had already left the, you know, left the home and my mom and dad were going out of town and they left me there by myself and wanted me to take care of, of the house. And uh, I thought it was a really big deal, man. And uh, was excited, obviously, that I uh, wasn't going to have any parents around for the entire weekend. And uh, I wanted, but I wanted to do a good job because I wanted them to feel like they could leave again. And we lived out in a rural area um, outside of Oklahoma City. My mom and dad had about, uh, I think, 23 acres of land. And I had, I, had a, I had a couple of horses. And obviously, we had dogs. And there were chores to be done around the house <clears throat> that uh, had to be taken care of all the time. And so when you live out in a rural area, you don't have trash service. You burn the trash, like you got trash barrels, and they're out away from the house, out by a barn or something. Anybody have, grow up like that? Some of you are like, I live that way right now. <laughs> and so uh, you burn the trash in these barrels, and then you, you know, when they get full, you have to get new barrels and take those to the dump. And so... Uh, I had to burn the trash before it was Friday evening. I remember this so clearly. It was Friday evening, about, about 5 o'clock or so, and I had gotten off work and um, come home and was trying to rush around. I had plans for the weekend, and I wanted to get all my chores done so I could leave. And so I'm, I'm just flying, man. And I, man, when I, get in, when I get in a work mode like that, I, it's all about how fast and how efficiently can I get something done. And so, man, I was just making moves, just right and left, and I was, I was burning through stuff. Got the horses fed, got um, the, everything the watered, and this man was just moving, 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 right out there, threw the trash in the trash can, got it, it was going on fire, man, I was in my truck, I was gone. Went down to the gas station, it was a fairly windy day. Went down to the gas station, filled my truck up with gas, well, probably about $5 worth of gas at that point. Never did fill my, I thought it was a big deal when I finally got to a point in my life where it's normal to fill your truck up with gas. Uh, but got some gas, got me a soda, and so I drove this, our house was kind of flanked by two roads the way my mom and dad's property was laid out. And one went this way and, and one went on this side of it. And I drove to the gas station this way and I got my beverage and got my gas and I drove back this way and I looked over and I couldn't even see the house. All I could see was smoke. The whole place was on fire. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I've, my, my first time I've burned down the house. Couldn't see the horses, couldn't see anything. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And uh, so there was a fire station down the street from the house, about a quarter of a mile away. So I drove, I turned around and drove back to the fire station, went up and rang the bell. This guy comes and I said, uh, hey, there's a fire right down the road. You guys probably need to check it out. 
And so they, so I drove off and I went back on the other side of the road and just watched. I never did tell them it was my place. And uh, they went and put the fire out and I could see the horses. The house was intact, just a grass fire. And I was, I was thankful, man. I dodged a bullet there. But remember, it was a really big deal that my folks asked me, man, we want you to, we want you to look after the place. And so it's really an honor uh, when someone asks you to watch out for um, their, their pets, um, maybe their, their kids, if they're going out, on, out of town and they ask you uh, to watch out for the kids, don't ask the haddocks. Like we asked the haddocks one time, we, me and Abby went on a trip and they were like, oh yeah, sure, we'll, we'll take care of it. And of course our kids were all older. They said, well, how, how's it going? Well, I don't know. Nobody's here. <laughs> Shay came over. Shay got there, I think, at like, what, 1030, 11 o'clock at night, and then left at 5 o'clock in the morning. And so, but they survived. They were all older. I'm just kidding. The Haddocks would take care of, of anything we know. We could entrust them. They monitored them. But uh, it's, it's a big deal, man, when somebody asks you to do that. And so when we, we get here to Revelation, we have the contrast of these two cities. We have the city of Babylon and we have the city of God. And all throughout um, the, the book of Revelation, we've seen this, this contrast happening between these two cities. And you'll see Babylon throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of times when it's mentioned, it's referring to evil and wickedness. And, and so the purpose of Revelation as we land this thing, I think it's 28 or 29 sermons um, later, um, the purpose of the entire book, the entire purpose of it, is to motivate believers to live godly lives. And so it's fascinating that it is this book that um, we avoid so much because it seems to be really difficult to interpret. And it, it is one of the books that it says, man, and we'll see it today, it starts that if you read this book, man, and, and you study it, you're going to be blessed um, and, and if you proclaim it, a blessing is going to come into your life. But what it does is it calls, it motivates us to live godly lives, and it calls us to obedience, worship, service, and proclamation. And so it's all of this around the good news of the gospel that this impending judgment is coming, and as believers, we've got to be focused on these things. So we're going to land today, <clears throat> starting in uh, verse 6 of chapter 21, and just kind of wrap this thing up, and I'll make some observations along the way and give you, hopefully, some applications that will encourage you this week. <clears throat> so it says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And so like this word soon, it doesn't mean the same thing that we mean, like I'll be over soon. You're expecting me to be over there that day. This just means imminent. The word here in the Greek would mean it's, it's, it's happening. Like, and, and with the Lord, man, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Time is not that significant for the Lord outside of the fact that it seals the fate of every soul. And so he says, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets 
and with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, we have it again, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The book ends like it starts. We see that Jesus um, is the beginning and the end. We learned that in chapter 1, I believe it was. And, and so like he said, man, I'm coming. I'm coming to give the rewards out. And so this is not um, work salvation. This is going to be the reward we'll see is based on what you do with Jesus, the decision you make about Jesus. He says, blessed are those, because right after he says that, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you. This testimony um, for the churches or I sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root, this is really cool, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. What does that mean, the root and the offspring? He means I am the beginning of David and I am the offspring of David. What's, this, is, this is what theologians call the hypostatic union of deity and humanity. I am before David and I am after David. I I am fully God, I caused David to be, and then I became a a human being through the lineage of David. I am from the root and I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. I am fully God and I am fully man. That's what Jesus is saying. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And the one who hears says, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from him the that per- take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So there's a lot in here, um, just, but just a few takeaways that I want to share with you this morning. And, and so vitally important is that when we look at this in light of all that we've learned through um, however many weeks it has taken us to get, or months that it has taken us to get from chapter 1 to chapter 22, what is our response to be? Like, in all that Revelation proclaims to us, 
And all this stuff about the wrath of God coming upon the world, the book of life, being washed in the Lamb's blood. Like, what is the response that you and I are to have this week as we live our lives and we look and hear Jesus saying, man, I'm coming soon. It is imminent. And it's the response that should be for every generation of believers, for every um, every period of time throughout history until God stops um, the re- recording of time itself and we are ushered into eternity. And we, and we see a few things here, and, and, and this is really important, is that we, we keep the word. Like that's, that's the call that God places on our lives. In verse 6, it says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy. There toward the end, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if you add anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described. If you take any words away from the scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from that person your share in the book of life. And so what we have here is a, a, like, a laser focus and just beaming on the importance of the word of God. And, and the word that is used here in keeping the word is the word tereo. And it means attend to carefully, to guard, to take care of. Now, why is that so important? It is so important because the city of Babylon always attacks the word. That is the nature of the dragon that is described in the book of Revelation which is a way the dragon, the serpent, like he, he leads behind all that is wicked. Jesus said he is the father of all lies. And as he calls the Pharisees, he tells them that you are of your father, who is the, a liar from the beginning. Then he's, he's making a truth claim that they are not believing the words of Moses, which is the word of God. And so we see that there is always an attack on the word, and we are to be keepers of the word. And so we, we look at the word, and we look at our society, man, and you'll see that everything is rooted. All of the stuff that, that we look at that is happening in society that we would look at and go, man, it, it is immoral. It is all rooted in an attack on the word. Even by design right now, people are trying to redefine the nature of sexuality. That is a, a, a direct assault on the word of God. And so we talk a lot about the word of God around here. And it was like, well, are we elevating the word of God above Jesus? No, we don't elevate anything above Jesus. But what we are saying is Jesus is the word. Like, we don't know anything about Jesus theologically of who he says he is. Jesus is not a supernatural figure without the word of God. Remember the book of Revelation tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is all about how God is working within humanity, and he's working out um, in life how he's moving in different ways and accomplishing different things. And as he's accomplishing those things... He says, I will send a Messiah, and so there is a prophecy made, and then the Messiah begins to fulfill all the prophecies. And so the word 
is so important for everything about the gospel. And so we look at this and we go, man, we are to keep the word. We uh, attend to it carefully. The most difficult thing to motivate people to do in a church, believers, is to read the word. Why is that so? Why is it so difficult for us to develop the discipline that I'm daily going to enter into the Word of God? Because the more you invest in the Word of God, the more you will look like a citizen of the city of God, and the greater your resistance to the city of Babylon will be. And so there is a supernatural oppression from the enemy that exists in time that God allows to happen to keep you from the word when you are designed to be a keeper of the word. And so we have to have our eyes like we, have, we come to church and we hear sermons like this and they sort of kind of lean into us. Why, why, would, why would the pastor lean into me? Because I'm trying to teach you that there's... there's there's a force coming against you to keep you from the very thing that will set you free and help you to live in a place of joy and abundance that Jesus talked about. And we need, we need to be reminded of it because it is so difficult sometimes, or so, let me rephrase that. It's so easy to be distracted by the things that we cannot see rather than being invested in the things that we cannot see. And the Word teaches us all about the things that we cannot see so that we can make sense of all the things that we can see. You see? See what I'm saying? I see. All right, good. Uh, and so, so like, it, we, we look and we go, man, we, we are to be keepers of that. And so we look around and we look at even inside of the church. Now, this is fascinating to me because sometimes I get frustrated and I think, well, how, what, what happened to a church that it would move so far away from its roots when I know that in, historically it used to be really invested in um, uh, following the word. And, and, and so like we look at a church and then all of a sudden it, it moves away from that. And it, it feels like in our inside when we process some of those thoughts, it feels like, man, the world's getting worse. <laughs> but this is written 2,000 years ago. And the churches that are addressed in the um, opening uh, chapter 3 and 4, or 2, 3, and 4, there are seven letters written to seven churches, which is a perfect number, saying this is for all the churches. And those churches were uh, dealing with uh, people perverting the very word of God that was given to us. And so we look at the word and the word is so vitally important because verse six says, first of all, we keep it because it is, it is trustworthy and true. Now there's a lot, not a lot in our society right now that we can bank on and go, this is trustworthy and true. But when we look at the word, it says, man, it is trustworthy. It is true. We can invest in it. But it also says in verse six, that is, it is inspired of God. This is so important for, for the culture that we're living in is that the scriptures, there, one of the things that you will hear people say, well, you'll hear this often. Well, the Bible was just written by a bunch of men. Like that's, that's a truth claim being made. But what we look at the word, the Bible is inspired of God and certainly men were used to write it, but it's almost as if they were like, like their personality was intact and they write in certain styles, but it's like they're ink pens in the hands of the writer. And maybe John is a red pen 
and Paul is a blue pin, and James is a black pin, but they're all pins of God, and they're all being used as they're inspired of the Spirit of God. Now, why is that important? That sounds miraculous. It is miraculous. Like, it is a miracle. It is a supernatural miracle of the hand of God. Creation is a miracle. And, and you say, well, you believe in miracles? Yes, you have to believe in miracles. Even, even the strongest atheist has to admit at some point that, that miracle, like when he says, well, there's a bang, that's a miracle. Something out there caused something and boom, it just happened. Okay, so we believe in the possibility of miracles. And so when we look at the word, we see the hand of God involved in recording his word to us. This becomes um, for our faith, this becomes so essential because if God is going to communicate with us, like he's, so you're God out there, and you're trying to figure out how to communicate with this lesser being. You got to do it some way. Hey, by the way, I taught a red dog a new trick. I can literally put my hand, when I get these all refined, Really, really good. I'm giving Red Dog a bath and bringing him to church. All right, and I'm going to bring him up here and show y'all. But I can pull a gun out and I go, bang! And you go, and they'll look his head up, I'm dead, and he'll go back down. I'm using words to communicate to this lesser being. And I'm repeating the words and I'm saying them over and over. How else can I get Red Dog to play dead if I don't use words? How else can God speak to us if he doesn't use words? You see, the Bible is so important because God has to speak in some way, and he has chosen to use words to speak to us so that we might know him. And in those words, he made a promise to a guy by the name of Abraham. (laughs) Again, from Genesis to Revelation, it is so vitally important for us to understand the importance of Scripture because the, the Scripture contains the promise. The promise in and of itself is supernatural. I'm going to make you into a nation. And and, um, you you will be a father of many people. (laughs) And then God, over the course of time, starts hammering that out. Now, why is that essential? So that we can look back and we're not taking a blind leap of faith in the dark, we can see that a promise was made. It was recorded before the promise was fulfilled. Hundreds of years take place, so history is there, and we can look back and go, this, like, this is a miracle. And then within the context of that nation, it is promised that a Messiah would come, be born in a specific location by a virgin, <laughs> and that he would be the savior of the world and, and he would sacrifice as the Lamb of God himself to set men free from their sins. All of that like, is recorded throughout history over a period of thousands of years. You say, how could you, like, how could you believe that the Bible was written and it is the word of God when it's written by so many different people? Again, why I believe it? It has harmony, yet it's written by all of these different people throughout all of these different time periods. And it has this this harmony and this message that man is lost in desperate need of, of, of atonement for their rebellion against God, and there's no way to get there 
We keep having human beings let us down until God himself becomes a human being. And so we see there's a miracle in the Bible. And so we, we look at it, we go, man, yes, we believe that, that God carried men along. Like, so this is written by John. John is telling us who John, this is significant because if, if, if John is like the best friend of Jesus. You want to know about Shay? Ask me some things. I can tell you things about Shay that most of you have no idea about, can I? All right? He can tell you things about me. I share things with Shay that uh, I don't share with other people, and Shay shares things with me, okay? This is a relationship John and Jesus had. John says, man, listen, like Jesus is saying that he, the word is inspired. The apostle Peter is another close relationship with Jesus, like firsthand witness, okay? What does he say? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Okay, so he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures because that is the prophetic message. Like right now when he's writing this, the New Testament is being written. He said it's completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts which is what Jesus is referred to as the bright and morning star in Revelation here, until he rises in your hearts. Above all, this is so very important. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so they, so I serve in the form of a prophet that I proclaim what has already been written. But this, these guys, I, so I'm, I'm uh, not foretelling, I'm foretelling what has already been told. And I do it in a prophetic voice in that sense that I'm interpreting the reliable scriptures that have been left to me. But these guys, man, the, the Isaiahs, the Micahs, the Ezekiels, the Johns, the, the Apostle Pauls, the Peters, these guys were moved of God to leave something for all of humanity to know who God is. And it is the most attacked thing that has ever existed on the planet, yet here it is. It remains. Why? Because it is not going to pass away until Jesus returns. Everything else will pass away, and the Word of God will stand forever. Why? Because Jesus is the Logos, man. He tells us everything about who he is. And so we keep the word and because um, it is inspired of the Lord. And it not, only, um, it not only is reliable and trustworthy, it teaches us what is taking place. So the writer of Hebrews says it this way. In, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, for the word of God is alive and active. And so see, the word of God is, it is not to be worshiped, <laughs> but it, as we will see, 
make sure that we are worshiping right. Because it is alive and active, and the Spirit of God's using it, and it is sharper, it says, than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It separates the physical world from the spiritual world because the physical world right now is under the control of Babylon and the, and the spiritual world when rendered to Christ is under the control of the king. And, it, and, and so the Lord can show us and teach us what is taking place in our own lives and in the world around us. And it says that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God, not your spouse, judges the attitudes of the heart. Nothing, it says, in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How is it laid bare? It's laid bare by the word of God. The word laid bare is the uh, Greek word trachealizo. It's where we get our word tracheotomy. It is a form of a wrestling term, okay? Like the headlock or to seize someone, pull their head back, right? The word of God will do that in you. The word of God, not your spouse, <laughs> the word of God will wrench you down get you to a place and just hold you there. And if you'll stay in it, you just, I'm done. I see it now, Lord. And so if you stay out of the word, you're scared of the octagon. Amen? Like if you get in it, it will get you in a headlock and it will start showing you, man, you're not, like your attitude is off right here, bro. Because it is alive and active. And so we are to be keepers of that because it has such power to move in our lives. And it will do these things in us. And it will lay bare the things for us that are causing us to compromise so that we begin to walk in the freedom of Christ. And we look more like the citizens of the city of God than the citizens of Babylon. So we live in Babylon as foreigners, as strangers, with our minds set on a city whose architect is God that we learned about last week and that we know is coming soon and we stay focused on that and the word is what helps us and if we're not in the word, we will never become all that the Lord wants us to be. It's just not possible. It's not possible with just Sunday morning teaching. Like it is the word is the, is the thing that just, it just keeps moving in our midst and bringing about transformation in our lives and so we are called to keep the word. And we are called to worship God. This is the second time John has been reproved for worshiping the angel. I think this is really important because um, the angel, like, man, he, he must have been impressive. And he was a messenger of something incredible that was just prompting um, John to fall into this place of worship. And he says, don't, don't worship me. He says, worship God. Don't let anything come between you and God. And he uses this terminology here in verse 9. He said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. I'm a fellow of yours. Okay? Now, this is pretty cool. Like an angel is saying to a human, I am a fellow with you. 
and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. And so we guard against misplaced worship, and we don't put our worship in anything but God, but it says we're fellow prophets. The word that is used here is the word prophetes. And, and it's not the same as the prophet John receiving a prophecy and foretelling and being inspired of God to write new revelation. But it is a word that means much like what I'm doing right now in the sermon. And we're all called fellow prophets. And this word prophetes means to instruct, to comfort, to encourage, to rebuke, to stimulate. And so as people who are engaged in what it means to be a prophet in this manner, prophetes, we open up to the word. So I open myself up to the word, and the word gets me in a place until I'm ready to tap out. And when I tap out, I find freedom, right? That's what it means um, to, to, to get out of a headlock. I tap out. I find freedom on the other side of the surrender to what the Word is teaching me. And when I find that freedom, I have been instructed. Now I've been comforted. I'm encouraged because of the rebuke that I received with the Holy Spirit using the Word that is active and alive. And I am stimulated to surrender to the Lord over and over. And when I open up to the Word that way, I will end up opening the Word to others. And that is worship. Worship is not just what we do with Sean on Sundays leading us. That is an expression of vocal corporate worship together when we sing. Worship is everything I do. That's what worship is. Worship is the activity of the soul and is either given to the city of God and we are focusing on who Christ is and we are participating with Christ in everything or we're focused on Babylon, which has, like, it's really more about selfish desires and what I'm focused on about me. And so what happens is we open the word, we open up to the word, and when we open up to the word, the word is opened up to others. And why is that important? It's because by keeping the word, it says in verse 11, look at this, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy. Don't seal them up. Now, Daniel, when he, was, he received some of this, he was told to seal some of it up. But here he said, John said, do not seal up the words of this pro prophecy. And so he goes on to say, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Now, on surface level, that sounds like it's encouraging people to be sinful. It says, let the let the one, let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. And then again, right after that, we see that he's coming to reward those whose robes have been washed. It is important for us to worship God this way and understand the significance of the word in our lives because the, by keeping the word unsealed, it seals what everyone is becoming. 
So in other words, my life is un, like my life is unsealed to the word, and if your life is unsealed to the word, and we are engaging the word, and the word is getting us in these spiritual headlocks, and we're learning how to surrender to it, we are encouraged, we find freedom based upon the rebuke that we've received by the Holy Spirit using the word to convict us. We come out of that for, with that newfound freedom, encouraged in the Lord, and we are stimulated to um, we are stimulated to continue to surrender to the Lord and to share our experience with others. And so other people begin to look at our lives and they have, if you will, something to see of what transformation looks like on a daily basis, not, not a once in a lifetime transformation, but a constant, transforming of of our lives to where we're going through this thing called sanctification and we look more and more like Jesus and people start to notice that and they have to do one of two things. They are either drawn to it and they unseal themselves to the words of the prophecy or they say, seal it out of my life. If they seal it out, then they are forever sealed in that state. And when the king comes, to which he said, I don't know how many times, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon, just in these verses. When he comes, it is the very thing that is used to bring about judgment as we look for his coming, which is the last observation I have for you. We look for his coming, and as we look for it, there is urgency about us to surrender this way because everyone is becoming what they will always be throughout eternity. So we, uh, as believers, walk through this life, and by faith, we look for his appearing. And so we're constantly looking for it, and this helps us because we're serving in this capacity to proclaim the gospel with the way that we live our lives. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, I think this is really cool. We're going to flip over there real quick and look at it. Hebrews chapter 6, long about verse 19. I think I got some of it in there. But it says, it's talking about the promise to Abraham. And, And he goes on to say that, In verse 18, when it comes to these promises, God did this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which we have, um, two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, and he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so what is it? what is happening is that God is making a promise, and as we look to the Word, it serves as the anchor for our souls. And so what does an anchor do? It holds me in this place. It makes me sure. It makes me confident. It makes me steady. That's what an anchor does. And when you anchor a boat properly, you can do things off that boat that you cannot do if you do not anchor it properly. And so like the Word of God is like that. And they have these things on these bass boats now. They're like, I don't know what they're called, but they're on the back. And you're like, what? Just boom, fish right here, boom. 
Like that boat's drifting and you get into the fish and you drop them things off the back, wham, and it stabilizes the boat, right? Floating dock in the water. And you're able to fish that hole. That's what the Word does, man. The Word, I'm moving through life and I'm, I'm, I'm relying on this thing and it sets me in places where I can constantly experience the power of the Lord running through my life. It helps me to see what's going on in and around me. And I look like I look for his appearing. I wait for it and I stay encouraged. And I use the word as an anchor for my soul to navigate through this life. We have the hope, this hope as an anchor of the soul. And so what's the big idea? Stand guard, man. Stand guard. Like we stand guard while we wait his, await his coming. So we stand guard in every area of our lives. And when it comes to the Bible, we believe the Bible, we guard the Bible, we love the Bible, and we obey the Bible. We stand guard. And in so doing, we proclaim the Bible to be true. If you really want people to know that the Bible is truth, and start acting like it. You start living like it. You don't just have to tell them, well, the Bible is true. And people are constantly looking and saying, they can look at us and tell whether or not we believe the Bible is true. We shouldn't all the time be having to say, well, the Bible says so. Like the Bible, if it's like, men, if, if the Bible is alive and active and we are in the Word and we are keepers of the Word and we serve as the guardians that God has called us to serve, then the people will look at our lives and they will see the Bible because it is alive and active inside of us. It is separating the spiritual from the physical. It is consistently putting us in headlocks and they see us consistently surrendering and finding greater freedom in this world that Babylon cannot offer. And as citizens of Babylon who do not know the Lord or even as citizens of the city of God who are living like Babylonians, they like... There's something wrong here. There's something amiss. And they start observing from our lives, and then they are stimulated. They are encouraged. They are convicted. They are rebuked. And so all of these words, like I said, rebuke. Like, I like stimulate. I like encourage. Rebuke. <laughs> Push that one over there. But you can't ever get stimulated and encouraged if you don't get rebuked. You can't know what to do that will bring freedom in your life until you finally figure out what you're doing that's causing bondage. So rebuke is a good word. And the greatest thing, man, the greatest thing is when you really come to a place in your spiritual journey where you are really encouraged by the rebuke of the Holy Spirit because you know freedom is on the other side of that. And that's... That, like, that's that's what it means to follow Jesus. And so, like, we look at that and go, man, I would just encourage you. Go out there this week and stand guard. Use your power poles to all the fishermen out there, man. And go fish for men. And if you'll just look around, they're out there. They're out there. They're looking. They want to be caught. It's not that we have to force them to, to be followers of Jesus. People who really are transformed by the power of Christ are hungry. They're just looking for someone to show them the way. So go out there and stand guard. Live what God calls you to in obedience. 
and watch the freedom begin to roll out of your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word. We have been blessed, Lord, by studying Revelation. It was intimidating for us to come to it, but Lord, it has shown us so much truth. And I pray, Lord, over this body of believers. Now, one thing I know is that people that come to this church, they, they believe in the word. They believe it is your word. And so I pray for all of us today, like as a ministry, that you'd help us to stand guard and to realize that we're really guarding against the enemy, like distracting us from the power of the word. And so we pray that we would live these lives, Lord, that would be a reflection of your glory because we know that throughout all eternity, that's what we're going to do is reflect your glory. And so we're encouraged that we can do it here and now and look forward to it then and there. We pray for transformation of our own lives and the lives of um, the people that we do life with here in this place. And we pray for new transformation, which is something we can't do, Lord. We get to share in it but only you can transform the heart. And we, let, we want to see you do that, Lord. And so we pray that you would make it so. And we ask it in the name of Christ. And amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.